Hi guys, welcome back to Vox Tablet. I'm Julie Subrin. Today we've got an audio postcard from an agricultural experiment like no other. About two hours north of New York, in the town of Goshen, there's a little farm that looks perfectly ordinary from a distance. It's got dozens of lush vegetable beds stretching up the slope of an enormous field. Each row is labeled with a little wooden placard. But here's the weird part. If you look closely, you'll see that each placard is labeled in Yiddish. This, it turns out, is Yiddish Farm. Yiddish Farm is an experiment of sorts. It's an immersion program that enlists participants who speak little or no Yiddish and who know little or nothing about organic farming to spend the whole summer doing both those things. If, like me, you're something of a cynic, you might be thinking, how could this possibly be a good idea? We sent reporter Nina Porzuki to find out. There are many reasons why the Yiddish farm shouldn't work. Reason number one, there's just one shower on the farm. One shower and as many as 12 people who need to use it after sweating it out in the fields all day. And these are people who are paying to be there, paying anything from $2,000 to spend the month to $4,000 to toil the entire summer in the fields and speak nothing but Yiddish. But showers aside, perhaps the biggest reason Yiddish Farm seems like a doomed experiment is that the two guys who started it a year ago did so with very little in the way of experience. Uh, well, I worked on farms when I was in college and then a little bit after college. Um, but I, I don't know if I really know that much about farming. That's Naftali Edelman, co-founder of the farm. In the late summer, he took me on a walk around the place. Edelman warns me the farm is usually strictly Yiddish. You know, today we'll speak English for you, but... He came up with the idea back in 2008. As the economy sank and he was facing unemployment, he had this wacky idea he just couldn't shake. Yiddish is in and farming is in. So what if he combined them both? Teach people to farm organic vegetables and to speak Yiddish. While Edelman knows next to nothing about farming, he does know Yiddish. The 26-year-old grew up speaking the language, and his family has long history in the Yiddish revival movement. His grandfather was a Yiddish professor, his uncle runs a Yiddish choir, his mother writes for the Yiddish Forward. I've taken up the torch of, of Mr. Yiddish Networker. I meet someone who knows some Yiddish. I'm like, okay, what's your phone number? So it was while Edelman was doing what he does best, Yiddish networking at a party, that he recruited another Yiddish enthusiast with a bit of farm experience. Warner Palmer Bass. You know, I, I joke that my English name, I could start a law firm, Warner Palmer Bass, you know, Warner Palmer and Bass. So, um. 23-year-old Bass is not a lawyer, and though he spent a few months in a farming apprentice program, he isn't quite a farmer either, but he certainly dresses the part. With a full beard and a straw hat, he looks like a cross between Tevia and Old MacDonald. When I meet him out in the field, he is wearing a bright yellow plaid talus. I don't want to just wear plain things without like a chayas, without like a life to it. Unlike Edelman, Bass did not learn Yiddish growing up. He was a typical Long Island suburban kid. His family wasn't particularly religious. But in high school, Bass came across a Yiddish textbook at a bookstore and asked his father to buy it for him. He wanted to learn the language that his mother spoke growing up. From 16 to 18, I would just sit, you know, when my friends were around on lunchtime, I'd go up to the library and just sit and do lessons. Werner Palmer Bass became obsessed with Yiddish. He even started using his Yiddish name, Yisrael Bass. Bass is now teaching himself both Yiddish and farming. The two fully intertwined. 
I have some I have some cucumbers down here. If I had a whole field of cucumbers, it'd be called the bashtan. Um, over here we have corn, um, which is starting to get the get the silks on it. And uh, we had to learn the word for the cobs themselves. Uh, a cob is a zong, uh, which you don't really even hear these words so much today because the Jews, the Jews that are speaking Yiddish are pretty far removed from this kind of lifestyle. Sometimes when he can't find the correct word in Yiddish, he makes it up. Like the word for garlic scapes. You know those curly green shoots? This spring, he sold his first crop to a grocer in the nearby town of Curious Jewel, which has a mostly Hasidic clientele. But first, he had to figure out what to call them. First, I wanted to call it uh, chazavadlech, um, uh, pigtails, because they kind of squiggle around, but I figured I wouldn't go over well. <laughs> then I thought of kanchikes, which are like whips, because uh, it kind of squiggles like a whip. Um, and that went over pr- pretty well. People got a kick out of it. And then when I saw it for sale in the store, they just put garlic leaves, which is not a leaf, but that's what they put on it. Um, So that's what happens when you don't make your own labels. The biggest challenge this year hasn't been learning the Yiddish word for fields of cucumbers, but actually growing those fields of cucumbers to begin with. Uh, So you learn as you go, and uh, you make a lot of mistakes. In front of us, Yiddish students hoe weeds between the corn stalks, which are tall and green and healthy. Other crops? have been a bit more challenging. This bed right behind you, over here, it's like overgrown and abandoned because I just couldn't get anything to grow on it. it was, this is, I originally planted, I think, um, shjav, which is sorrel, and then I planted carrots, and then I planted the alliums, and then I planted, and it was just like, I don't know, maybe I put down too much lime here. Like some of the carrots are growing, but the ground's too hard because of the clay. There's not enough topsoil here, so. Still, Bass and Edelman have had a measure of success. This year's crop included garlic, beets, and cucumbers. More importantly, this first summer, 27 people applied to the program from all over the world, and about 18 people enrolled. Yiddish student Sarah Wolk is one of them. She's been spending the morning helping to build a chicken coop. During the year, 24-year-old Wolk studies at a yeshiva, where she's been learning Hebrew. But this past summer, she decided she wanted a new challenge. Uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know any Yiddish. Um, I had learned one phrase from my, a friend at the nursing home that we visit uh, with the yeshiva. She taught me, uh, for vos nisht, why not? Uh, which turned out to be sort of a useful, useful phrase. Because um, why not come and learn Yiddish? <laughs> After two months on the farm, Wolk speaks with relative ease. Sure, she says, she can't have deep emotional conversations, but she can talk vegetables. In fact, talking vegetables is the secret to how she learned as fast as she has. If we're in a classroom and we don't successfully complete an exercise, oh no, you know, I got to check minus. Um, But here, you know, our chicken house needs to be built and the vegetables need to come in and we have to wash them the right way. And so I think to to see the consequences around you, it's, it's made learning to speak clearly and to actually understand what people are saying uh, a lot more important for me. A word to the wise. If you're too rough, you end up with a scratched potato. Scratched potatoes don't sell that well. Speaking of potatoes... Oh, is it time to eat? It's time to eat, yeah. Uh It's lunchtime. We've got two tables set up with tablecloths and everything. Right, so how do you say it's time for lunch? Lumidessen. Means let's eat. Okay. Edelman leads me to 
the main house. All right, come, come, come eat. Where a half dozen students congregate around two tables pushed together. The table is set with a hodgepodge of plates and silverware. Yet it sort of feels like Thanksgiving, minus the turkey. <laughs> dish after dish is set in the middle of the table with lentil soup, braised zucchini, beet leaves with garlic. Most of the vegetables were grown on the farm. Around the table sits a motley crew of Yiddish student farmers. There's the 80-year-old psychology professor from Chile, the shy undergraduate with her nose stuck in her notebook, the PhD student sporting a talus over a tank top. They slip back into Yiddish and are talking and laughing as they eat the food that they've grown. Watching and listening to them, it's hard not to be won over by this cockamamie Yiddish farm experiment. Admittedly, it's not for purists. Yiddish revivalists would not approve of Bass's word invention, and the farmer next door teases them for taking a break each Shabbat. Real farmers don't take breaks. But there's no denying it. Edelman and Bass's vision has become a reality. They've created a working Yiddish farm. As lunch winds down, there's a brief but heated discussion, and Edelman turns to me grinning. You know, when people are arguing, and it stays in Yiddish, they don't go over to English when they're arguing, I'm so proud of them. <laughs> Winter's approaching, and Bass and Edelman have started planting their winter wheat. That crop is the heart of their next wacky plan. We're looking into um, making a matzah bakery. What we would be offering is like, you know, your local organic matzah. You could come visit the farm and see where it grows. Bringing together the local organic thing with the um, like Jewish religious ritual thing is kind of uncharted territory. Uncharted territory. That's something they seem to be experts at. For Vox Tablet, I'm Nina Porzuki. Nina Porzuki is an independent producer based in New York City. Yiddish Farm, she tells us, is now accepting applications for its next summer session. You can find more information by visiting our website, tabletmag.com. And now, a reminder, listeners, that Vox Tablet is available not only on iTunes, but also on Stitcher and other mobile apps. So, if you haven't already, I want to suggest that you subscribe now. That way, you'll never miss an episode. As always, we thank you so much for listening. I'm Julie Subrin. Hope you'll tune in again next week. <laughs>